Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application learning product on the market, and also by PolicyPack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you've them to thank. And now for some news. I believe by far the biggest story this week was the Windows Domain Name System Servers Vulnerability, or DNS by its common name that has been patched by the July patches. This is a remote code execution vulnerability in DNS when they fail to properly handle requests. An attacker who successfully exploited the vulnerability could run arbitrary code in the context of the local system account. Windows servers that are configured as DNS servers are at risk from this vulnerability. To exploit the vulnerability, an unauthenticated attacker could send malicious requests to the DNS server. This vulnerability affects all versions from server 2003 forward, so it has existed for 17 years. The vulnerability has been given a 10 out of 10 on the severity scale. This is as bad as it gets, and there is also a report by Forbes that the US government has given its agencies 24 hours to patch this vulnerability. So that's how severe and serious it is being taken. If you're unable to go ahead with your July patches right away, there are some workarounds including a registry modification for a registry key HKLM slash system slash current control set slash services slash DNS slash parameters and you create a D word or modified D word TCP receive packet size and set it to 0xff00 and I know I just stated that in an audio format podcast I will share a link to that with this episode which is episode 133 on 5 and you'll find it under reference links And before I get away from this DNS vulnerability, I've seen some suggesting that a reboot is not required. However, Microsoft's guidelines suggest that a reboot is required after applying the workaround. So I believe just modifying that registry is not going to be enough. You need to reboot the server too. And that nasty DNS vulnerability is just one of 123 vulnerabilities fixed with the July patches. And according to ZDNet, some of the important bugs patched this month include remote code vulnerabilities in the remote FX vGPU component of Hyper-V. There's a remote code vulnerability in the Jet database engine included with some Office applications. Also in Word, Excel, Outlook, SharePoint, Windows LNK shortcut files, which have had a lot of vulnerabilities over the last few months. And also in the various Windows graphics components. So obviously being 
remote code vulnerabilities, these would be pretty significant too. Probably the most significant of the whole 123 fixes. So this feels like it's one of those months that, you know, if you're doing a staggered approach to your patching and you stay a month behind, it might be worth considering, especially on the server side for that DNS issue, to get those patches brought forward and done as soon as possible. In the middle of the week, Outlook started crashing worldwide when users tried to launch the application. Because people started reporting seeing some 0xc000005 errors displayed in the Windows Event Viewer for the issue. It appears that an update made by Microsoft resulted in this launch error. There were multiple fixes shared online, the easiest of which, in my opinion, was to run a command which was office c2rclient.exe slash update user update to version and equals and you put in a specific version like 16.0.12527.2880 and that command seemed to get Outlook back into a working state by going to a more stable release. If you haven't experienced the issue yet then you're not likely to experience it so you shouldn't have to worry about it but even on my own Twitter timeline I saw multiple people that I know were experiencing the issue so you got lucky if you didn't. This week CNBC.com were reporting on the Now Meet feature our application by Google. They state that there are some Google customers who are satisfied with the company's business software and they don't want to have to adopt alternative services such as Slack or Zoom. So this Now Meet feature will hopefully be a viable alternative to those platforms and it will become accessible inside of Gmail for business customers along with Google Docs and the Google Chat service for team communications. Within the enhanced Gmail, if people are chatting and they want to collaborate on a document together, they'll get the same real-time collaboration that's been a big benefit of Google Docs. G Suite customers can opt into the new configurations, G Suite customers can opt into the new integrations, and Google employees are thinking about how to bring them to consumers according to the CNBC article. So it's interesting that AWS, who are obviously a competitor of Google's in the cloud space against GCP, have aligned with Slack. Obviously, Microsoft have Teams. And now the Google Cloud Platform and just G Suite in general is needing to compete against Slack and Teams. And thus, now Meet looks like it's going to be their answer, or at least their attempt at getting back some of that market share. It was announced this week that HPE have reached an agreement to acquire Silver Peak, who are an SD-WAN provider, and it said the deal is valued at $925 million. HPE's own statement suggests that Silver Peak will be combined with HPE's Aruba business unit and will extend Aruba's technology leadership in the large and fast-growing SD-WAN space. They state 
Silver Peak's technology transforms legacy WAN architectures to self-driving WANs, which is a perfect fit with Aruba's cloud-native AI-driven edge services platform. So if you've been a frequent listener of the podcast, you'll have heard me cover some of the other acquisitions by HPE over the last couple of years, and just some of their own internal new features that they've released over the last few years too. They are very much targeting that edge networking, machine learning, and these high demand tech areas right now. So I guess this should come as no real surprise. In an interesting announcement this week, Citrix and Microsoft announced a new multi-year agreement which they say builds upon and expands one of the industry's longest strategic partnerships. Under the terms of the deal, Microsoft will select Citrix Workspace as a preferred digital workspace solution and Citrix will select Microsoft Azure as a preferred cloud platform to move existing on-premises Citrix customers to Microsoft Azure and enable people to work anywhere across devices. Now, obviously, as their own statement says, it's one of the industry's longest strategic partnerships, and there's a long history there of Microsoft giving Citrix the rub, and then also Citrix giving Microsoft a bit of a rub. Like, for example, you know, Citrix had their own AppVert product, and Microsoft acquired SoftGrid, which then became AppV, and Citrix decided to integrate AppV and just retire their own. So there's a long history of that. It did seem, at least to me, someone who's completely on the outside, not working for other company, that maybe things were getting a little bit rocky because Microsoft went from announcing that remote app was being deprecated and you should use Zen App Essentials to the following year announcing RDMI, which would then become Windows Virtual Desktop, which originally sounded like it was going to be a building block for other vendors like Citrix, like VMware, like Parallels, like WorkSpot and others. But then when Windows Virtual Desktop was kind of coming to the front, it seemed like Citrix wasn't as involved as maybe at least I had assumed they would be. So it seemed like maybe the partnership wasn't as strong as it has been in the past. Perhaps this announcement is going to be the beginning of stronger ties again. And it kind of makes sense if you've been following some of the announcements over the last few months by Citrix. Like for example, the Citrix Managed Desktops. And the fact that Citrix Cloud runs on Azure, this still does make a lot of sense. This statement from Citrix states that Citrix will invest in building a Microsoft-centric Citrix workspace, providing deep integrations to optimize performance, functionality, and micro apps for Windows Virtual Desktop and Microsoft 365, including Teams. In addition, Citrix will use Azure and Microsoft 365 across its operations to accelerate innovation and enhance productivity. So I posted a blog a few months ago where I talked a little bit about Citrix Cloud and Citrix Workspace versus Windows Virtual Desktop, and I compared them on a bunch of different categories, naming each one, or which one won each category, rather. So I'll share a link to that with this episode. And I think if you read that blog post, then it makes even more sense why Microsoft would be quite keen to get into this partnership and perhaps bolster a Citrix flavor that's sitting on top of Windows Virtual Desktop. It has been announced that Google Chrome will be limiting 
public TLS certificates to 398 days starting from September 1st. The move comes after a similar announcement a few months ago by Apple for their Safari browser. It's looking like this could become the new norm across all modern browsers. So if you're a hosting provider working for a hosting provider or you maybe host your own sites, if you don't already have some automation in place to keep refreshing your certificates every year, it's something you should probably look at. Citrix Workspace app 1912 LTSR CU1 for Windows has been released. As it's a CU1, you might expect it contains pretty much just fixes. And one of the fixes for an issue with the 1912 version of the Workspace app appearing multiple times in the tray. Also, there have been some instances of Citrix HDX engine not responding errors that has been addressed with this cumulative update. And also one where you attempt to redirect a long URL, the URL might not be redirected to a VDA and the redirector.exe process exits unexpectedly with an exception invalid underscore C runtime underscore parameter. So that has been addressed in this cumulative update too. So if you're on that LTSR version of the Workspace app, could be a good time to upgrade. A small update has been released for the Microsoft Power Toys. It includes fixes for the win key for launcher, which was throwing a lot of false positives. They've also improved performance of adding and removing packaged apps. And also, Fancy Zone Windows Snap behind top mounted Windows taskbar was an issue that has now been fixed. Bram Wolf's great remote display analyzer version 2007 has now been released. What's new in this release? Well, there is a Citrix glyph detection. There's Citrix build to lossless configuration option has been added. Support for the latest Windows 10 builds. Support for the latest Citrix VDA version. Support for the latest VMware Horizon version. The receiver client version is now detected and displayed next to the detected VDA version. There's multi-language OS support for RDS Windows Virtual Desktop. There's enhanced support for Citrix EDT with MTU size detection, MTU discovery detection, and available EDT bandwidth detection, which to me sounds like it's the biggest improvement in the product with this release. Plus, there's various other fixes and improvements too. Shout out to my buddy Andrew Morgan, who shared his very first VMR KB article, or at least one that he caused, he says. A cumulative hot patch for VMware Horizon version 7.11 and 7.12 has been released. Using the monitoring tools which uses session local summary query more frequently, you may have been experiencing that the connection server responded slowly and sometimes caused an outage, and that sometimes rebooting helped in recovering it for some time, but then again the problem would reappear based on the API usage from the monitoring tools like Horizon Reach. Horizon Power CLI and VROPS. The issue had been occurring because of heavy API usage on session monitoring APIs of the connection server. So check out this KB article for a resolution and I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 133 on 5bytespodcast.com. 
I noticed this week, shared by Dennis Gudarov, that Microsoft are disabling vGPU in all applicable Windows platforms in the July 2020 security update. vGPU will be completely removed in six months, he says, and it's recommended that users consider using an alternative vGPU technology. They don't recommend any Microsoft alternative, so you're going to have to look elsewhere. And one of the coolest things I saw this week, courtesy of a tweet from Trent Ty, thanks Trent, he highlighted the fact that there is now a preview version of Procmon or Process Monitor for Linux. That is so cool. I might actually be able to be a Linux admin in the future. The VMware VMworld catalog is now live. So if you want to check out what the sessions are going to be, you can do so. So go to VMworld.com for that. And finally, congratulations goes to Patrick Koble for winning this year's Stephanie Roper CUGC Community Award. A very deserving winner. Patrick has been killing it with his excellent security-based sessions at all kinds of different conferences and mainly online, obviously, with what's going on in the world, which has probably made his sessions even more accessible than they would have been. So congratulations, Patrick. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Thanks goes to Adam Yarbrough for sharing a really cool and handy PowerShell script that he created for disabling the power settings on network interfaces, which obviously would come in very handy on your server operating systems. This week, Billy York published some Azure Monitor Sentinel Quick Start Workbook templates that join his existing previous templates that included the Logic Apps Azure Sentinel playbooks. He has some Azure Automation Update Management templates, Azure File Sync templates, Syslog templates, and Windows Event Log templates. So if you want to get a start with Azure Monitor, if you haven't already, this could be a really quick way for you to just take some templates that someone else has created, Billy in this case, and get working. Obviously, to start off, if nothing else, Windows Event Log and Syslog is going to give you some pretty useful data right away. Guy Leach shared a PowerShell one-liner that he came up with that uses VMware Toolbox CMD.exe from VMware Tools to query available stats categories in a VM. It queries them all and puts them into a variable via JSON. So check that out if you'd like to pull some data from your VMs. Josh Duffney shared a PowerShell module that he created that builds on and expands upon the Active Directory module used for interacting with Active Directory domains and forests. The purpose of the module is to provide richer and more consistent experience for Active Directory engineers that are automating the maintenance and administration of Active Directory. To do that, they combine several existing commandlets to perform administration tasks as well as improved upon those commandlets with advanced PowerShell scripting techniques. So that's actually one of the shortcomings that I've noticed with the Active Directory PowerShell module is for some of the stuff you need to get a little creative. It doesn't seem very consistent across the board with how things work with the Active Directory commandlets. So if someone worked on it and made it better, all the better for all of us. And shout out to my buddy Mike Nelson who shared a quick blog post on geeking out with Azure charts where he shares some of the cool Azure charts 
that he's come across and it's a cool way to just see some of the usefulness of Azure charts in general. There's some stuff in there that's like interesting data to see but also some pretty cool use cases like using them for quizzes and stuff like that. And also kudos to Johan for this last script that I'm going to talk about. He created a script for detecting several different VPNs on your client including Palo Alto Global Protect, Cisco, Juniper, Dell VPN or SonicWall as well as F5 Networks VPN. And obviously Johan's scripts and his website are very, very popular, but he said that this has become the most popular or most viewed on the deployment site. So that's saying something, and obviously that's gonna be something that's in quite high demand right now with the work from home surge. So you might find it useful. And that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.